0: There are schools of thought that believe we have unlimited scope and possibilities for making decisions. The truth is that our scope is somehow restricted, and we have less room. It is therefore key that we engage in innovative decision-making to optimize opportunities in our business and personal lives. We need to understand our decision-making skills as individuals and organizations. This will enable us to adjust accordingly to the constant changing environment. Question, if Jesus had taught at Harvard Business School on these related issues, what would he have to say? My name is Tinuke Akimbulomo. Welcome to today's episode of the If Jesus Taught at Harvard Business School podcast. In today's session, we have Ade Ojomo, a management consultant in the consulting, advisory and training space, discussing the frameworks around the anticipation and management of change. In the last episode we looked at the definition of change. In addition, we looked at the drivers or causes for transformation from a personal, corporate, religious, and global point of view. People were also identified as key factors that need to be managed as part of the change management process. Managing the differing attitudes and perceptions is a critical part of the whole process. Hence why having a change management framework in place is important. Finally, having an effective communication strategy to highlight the impact of change to an individual and an organization is essential to ensure people are fed with the correct information that will guarantee support and less resistance to change. In this episode, we shall have a further look at the change management framework using the wilderness period of the children of Israel
1: as a case study. Thank you, Tinuke. As mentioned in the last episode, we are made up of body, spirit, and soul. And the transformation in any of these areas has to be managed effectively with a defined change management framework in place. Now change starts with making a decision, for example, punching a hole in a wall. Hence, when reorganizing for change in any organization, there should be focus on building a resilient organization that can make and execute the decisions better and faster than your competitors. In times of change, sometimes reorganizing the people supporting your existing structures may not be the best approach. Hence why having an effective framework in place enables the organization to identify where the changes have to be made in terms of decision-making and delivery of its products and services. Years ago, IBM middle managers refused to adapt to change, and we see the results currently in the marketplace. They entered the PC market late because of its comfortable business model or developing products in-house. Now this, le- this lateness meant it had to outsource some of the critical work involved: purchasing the operating system, for example, from Microsoft, and allowing Microsoft to sell the same operating system to other vendors cost them dearly. Being too comfortable and resisting change can be very costly, as we can see from the example above regarding IBM. In the time of Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they refused to change in the area of their belief system. They were actually comfortable imposing their views of God on the Jewish community, preventing them by all means not to adapt the newness of the message that Jesus brought with the gospel. They were content with the status quo. As mentioned earlier, change involves implementing decisions. Giving your life to Jesus involves a decision. Getting married involves a decision. Having children involves a decision. The decision to get out of the rut and move into progress is a decision that has to be made individually. This process of change has to be managed effectively or else you could be facing a revolt because people don't agree with your vision. Numerous examples of what happened in the Soviet Union years ago and the Eastern Bloc countries after years of living under communism comes to mind. Our major case study is about a people that were in bondage and embarked on a major journey into the unknown, which was welcomed by some and resisted by others. In the next section, we shall be exploring further the change process The Children of Israel went through by looking at the case study of the Wilderness Period in the Desert. In using the Wilderness Experience of the Children of Israel as a case study, we'll be addressing some key questions. What did they see as the Promised Land? Who were the key stakeholders? Who were the blockers? Who were the supporters? Who were the neutrals when it came to following the vision of reaching this promised land? And most importantly, how were these visions managed? Now let's start by looking at what the vision and the mission statement must have been for the children of Israel. I believe the vision and or the mission was for the children of Israel to get to the promised land known as Canaan. This involved the migration of the Israelites. We're talking about a million people from Egypt to Canaan, moving them from a state of bondage to a state of freedom. What were the drivers for this change? Now, one, again, one can safely say that the driver for the changes that the Israelites were subjected to was God, suffering at the hands of Pharaoh and a constant cry for freedom. God was the driver for the change as he wanted his people to come out of bondage to worship him. The people had been crying for over 400 years and God initiated the change management process by choosing a leader called Moses. Moses' task was to take the children of Israel from a state of constant bondage to the state of freedom, taking them from Egypt to Canaan. The scope of change involved was not just a physical one, but one that involved a major renewal of their mindset to erase over 400 years of bondage thinking. It is important that the scope of the changes had to be clearly communicated to the people so that resistance could be minimized. For example, when the 12 spies came back from Canaan to communicate what they saw, only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, communicated positive news. At the start, not all the people were on the same page regarding the future changes. Joshua and Caleb's communication was in line with the overall vision from God for the people. The other spies' communication was not in line with God's vision. They both understood the power of gathering and confirming accurate and positive information. In the terms of Joshua and Caleb. Now, this could explain God's stakeholder management approach in which every resistance to the overall vision was eliminated speedily. This is to ensure that there was agreement and everyone was on the same page, both management and non-management. As explained in previous sections, the importance of knowing who your stakeholders are was stressed in numerous sections. Now, in the wilderness period, Moses had to deal with the following key stakeholders. In other words, manage the following key stakeholders. Of course, God, the children of Israel, Pharaoh, the Amalekites, Balaam, Korah, Joshua, Caleb, the 10 spies, Dathan, and the 70 elders. Now, we're going to discuss some of the issues that Moses had to face in the wilderness and the strategies that he utilised to manage not just the key stakeholders mentioned above, but as I said, the vast population of the children of Israel. Moses had to get by from the children of Israel he had to gain their support so how did he do this he had to project calm instead of craziness so we hear Moses telling the children of Israel during a period of turbulence stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord he had to project confidence instead of cowardice telling the children of Israel not to panic that the Lord will fight for them and the only thing that they need to do is to keep still During a period of confusion as to whether to go forward or to go back, he tells the children of Israel not to panic that they should go forward. Only after he had communicated with God and God provided him with a rod to split the sea, again Moses showing that he was competent instead of being clumsy. Moses had to deal with the complaints, the fear and the mindsets of the children of Israel. As mentioned earlier, the children of Israel had a mindset of bondage. So he had to manage the, 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 the mindset of over a million people. They were constantly complaining. They complained that there were no graves in Egypt. Hence Moses sent them in, <laughs> into the desert to die. They complained against Moses for what to drink. Moses didn't panic. He cried, out to the, he cried out to the Lord. God gave him a piece of wood, which he threw into the water so that the children of Israel could drink. This was not enough. They complained again. In the later segment, and Moses again cried out to God, and God said, strike the rock. And again, he filled the desires of of the children of Israel by providing them with water. Now here comes food. They complained. They resisted over food and the change in diet. They complained about the manna that was being provided. They complained that they wanted to go back to Egypt. Moses again prayed, did not panic. He prayed again to God, and God gave him the idea of delegating 70 elders to handle the issues as he had more strategic decisions to make rather than having to worry about the logistics of 600,000 people. He delegated 70 elders so that the communication could be improved and so that the children of Israel could have access to the key decision makers. And now this is key because these elders also had to be on the same page. So God anointed them to have the relevant skills and be on the same page to facilitate and handle the changes that the children of Israel had to go through. In addition, he had to deal with complaints. He had to deal with, uh, uh, he had to deal with the blockers with Korah, uh, Korah and, and 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 Balaam. He had to deal with them. The Bible tells us that they were eliminated and buried in Kibroth and Hatapha. Now, the importance of having a key and influential stakeholder like God is that he strengthened Moses when Moses wanted to give up. Just like on any project, when resources are drying up, you need a key and influential stakeholder that can get things on the track again. He had to deal with the mindset of people that were in the comfort zone of Egypt. As I said earlier, they said they wanted to die in Egypt, that there were better prospects in Canaan. Now take into account that over 400 years of slavery, (laughs) but they still felt that Egypt was better. Moses had to manage these responses. They complained again about food in another segment. They, they, you know, now branching out of your comfort zone during change is something that has to be done, and I always say that you know, if the men didn't go to the moon, we wouldn't have satellite TV. (laughs) They had to deal. He had to deal with people that were stubborn. For example, they complained for food. God provided them with manna and said, "Don't go out on the seventh day to pick food," but they still did. Again. Rather than panic, Moses relied on God for the right response. Moses had to deal with the Amalekites. He had to deal with quite a few tribes that were constantly on the tail of the children of Israel. Again, we see the importance of having an inner circle in Joshua, Aaron and Hur. Hence the importance of a core team during any change management process. He responded by prayer. And as we know, Aaron and Joshua, Aaron and Hur lifted his hands up. During the battle. Now, he also had to deal with the weak leadership of of Aaron, his his brother in law. There was a time when the children of Israel were resorting to idolatry. They decided to build their own God. Um, Aaron, who was meant to be their leader, succumbed to their cravings. But we see that even though Moses prayed on behalf of the people to God not to kill them, later his anger set in. His character character traits set in and he was so angry that he got them to drink the molten calf. He had to deal with their impatience. He had to deal with their idolatry, as mentioned earlier. What was his response? He had to manage them. He had to find out who is for me, who is on the Lord's side. These are the champions. And who are those that are not on the Lord's side? These were the blockers. And the blockers in this scenario, they were totally eliminated, as mentioned earlier. In this study Now the wilderness change period Was a time not just for the children of Israel to improve But for Moses to improve And develop his leadership style With creative innovative strategies from God Change involves transformation And the leadership style Managing the change Is absolutely crucial to its success Moses had to deal with a lot of negotiation For example One of the key stakeholders Sorry One of the key stakeholders Hobab the son of Ruel, the Midianite, wanted to take a separate path, did not want to follow them to Canaan. So one could say in terms of stakeholder mapping, it was hard to decide whether he was a blocker, he was a champion. So in other words, he was still on the fence as to which way he wanted to go. But Moses negotiated and got him from being on the fence to being a champion and a supporter of the cause. Again, as highlighted earlier, Moses had to deal with a lot of rebellion Aaron and Miriam, for example, decided to rebel against his leadership. Again, we see the calmness of Moses during this change management process. He prayed to God and we know what God did to Miriam. I always wonder why God didn't punish Aaron. But as you know, God knows best. Moses, again, had to deal with the rebellion of Korah and company. They had issues with Moses' leadership. Again, Moses' response was that of calm. And God's response was to swallow them up totally. As mentioned earlier, there are times when you have to totally eliminate those that are blocking your vision, as we can see God doing in terms of Korah and his friendships. Now, God later—this is the, probably the bit that I like the most—is that you know the importance of acknowledging the change management leader, and you know being a supporter of the vision. God later reconfirms that he had appointed Moses as the leader to take the children of Israel from Egypt to Canaan um, by by the the, the budding of the flowers, Um, whereby those that were against Moses, their flowers didn't bud. But God confirmed that Moses was the leader by the budding principle so that the people could focus again, knowing that God had truly anointed Moses to take them to the promised land. And finally, Moses had to deal with the division of purpose. Now, if we look at the scope and the assignment and the various response, they were all on the same page regarding the findings. In other words, that there was a land flowing with milk and honey, but they disagreed on the strategy going forward. Some said we are able and some said we are not able. And they tried to influence the mindset of the rest of the people. Here we see the resistance to change. Further on, we also see the report that they brought back from Canaan. And they wanted to choose a new leader they wanted to rebel because they thought they couldn't actually get to the promised land joshua tried to gain more support by reinforcing the people with the positive information that we are able now it got so bad that god later intervened intervened by pronouncing a death sentence on the people that brought the bad report in the next section we shall look at some of the implementation strategies applied by moses to manage this change process. In this section, we shall see, or have a look at some of the implementation strategies that were applied by Moses in the wilderness period. Number one, the establishment of policies and laws to guide the children of Israel in the following areas, how to live and have a moral and ethical lifestyle, how to appear properly, pure conscience, Their duties, how to manage their relationships and restitution, how to handle priorities, establishment of regulation and guidelines, and how to forgive and atone for sins. Number two, the establishment of policies and laws using the Ten Commandments to guide the children of Israel on how to conduct their relationship with God and their relationship with man. Number three, team organization. The establishment of military division for logistical reasons to facilitate protection through their passage through the wilderness. The establishment of divisions for the maintenance of the tabernacle. This was assigned to the Levites. The establishment of division for the maintenance of the tent of meetings. This was assigned to the Kohatites. The establishment of divisions for the transportation of duties related to some of the infrastructure of the tent of meeting this was assigned to the Gershonites the establishment of division for the transformation for the transportation of duties related to some other aspects of the infrastructure of the tent of meetings this was assigned to the Merarites number 4 accountability a census of the israelites were carried out to account for the numbers and the various divisions of the children of israel Number five, delegation. This was a a godly advice regarding the application of legislation by his father-in-law. As we could see, Moses was taking on too much and God used his father-in-law to apply the principle of delegation. Finally, a communication strategy. Now, a communication framework was established to manage the communication process in the wilderness. This was essential because all parties had to be kept on the same page during the passage from Egypt to Canaan. In the wilderness, we saw God speaking to Moses in the tent of meeting and Moses would speak to the elders who would relate the messages to the children of Israel. Now, we all know about the Chinese whisper syndrome so it was absolutely important that all parties were on the same page. Change in any shape or form is inevitable. How we choose to respond does not prevent it from happening. It will happen. We can either resist it or embrace it. Both choices will have consequences. Now having a change management framework enables us to manage the resistance or support for the change by having the right people, the right processes and the right systems in place to facilitate the going concern of our lives as individuals or organizations.
0: We end this episode with some take-home points that reinforce what was discussed in the last episode and what has been discussed again in this episode with the Wilderness Period case study. Number one, identify how the change affects the existing vision and or mission. Number two, Identify the key factors driving the changes. Are they personal, corporate, religious, or global? Number three. Identify the key individuals or organizations affected by the change. Number four. Assess the perceptions of the key individuals impacted by the change. Are they champions, on the fence, or blockers? Number five. Create a framework to manage the perceptions and attitudes of key individuals to generate the maximum support. In addition, have an effective communication strategy during the change processes, keeping key individuals updated. Number six, have an effective implementation and training strategy to manage the people, the processes, and the systems affected by the change. In the next episode, we will be discussing the art of negotiation and the skills required to be an effective negotiator. My name is Tineke Akinbulamore. Goodbye and God bless.